Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose, a podcast made possible by Skylife Success, a SkyPass group company. Join Krish Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. Greetings, dear ones. This is Krish Dunham back in the saddle in Dallas, Texas, after a lengthy jaunt to South Africa. The trial of the journey was more in the travel than in the locale. The locale was beautiful. I experienced wondrous joys in Johannesburg and Durban. And the only regret of the trip was that it was cut short because I had to come back. We got back to Dallas and uh, began right away in engaging in some things that uh, were required to be done, including the august honor of being asked to preach at a friend's funeral service and officiate the graveside service of his going home. As somber as the event was, I was truly humbled and grateful that the family thought me worthy of that honor. As we traverse into this week and uh, reflect, I would encourage all of you to go back and listen to the episode that we posted previously called The Path Forward, where we talked about people groups and their ability to navigate through disenfranchisement and marginalization as we explored how different cultures and people groups around the world cope with adversity, even though some of their lineage to where they arrived in their present circumstances may be the same. The topic for today is called Distractions, Delusions, and Deviations. I know that's a mouthful. The byline of it, when you add, will be the precursor to a talk I'm developing. And the byline of that is Progressive Recipes for Regressive Results. Progressive Recipes for Regressive Results. So we have the word results there, so we assume it's good. We have the word progressive there, we assume it's good. And we have the word recipe there, so we assume it's good. But the word that we will need to focus on is regressive because almost all of these schemes have brought us back to before the intellect of man. I think the two greatest hoaxes perpetrated on civilized societies are distractions regarding behavior and deviations regarding belief. It seems that every day the need for institutional intervention in everything petty and childish is the beginning of all discussion and not the ending of any dialogue. If we pause there, we could parse this for a month of Sundays. Almost everybody wants an institutional help of some kind that stands as a banner behind them. So no longer is a protest just a protest in the sense that I'm going to take my concerns to the street and paint my slogans on a flag and wave it around till I get attention. It is almost as if every time someone does that, a new society begins to emerge and a new structure is now warranted that inquires or requires a czar of some kind to protect the people from the somehow crazy mayhem that is affecting a very minuscule part of the population. Now again, that seems like a mouthful of words, but read what I said or at least listen back to what I said. The need for institutional intervention in everything petty and childish is now the beginning of all discussion and not the ending of doing. So you think about it. We have gone through this toxic issue of abortion, which whichever side of the equation you're on, uh, one side says no, no uterus, no opinion. 
The other side says it takes a father to make a baby, so the father has to have an opinion. And the leak that was made at the Supreme Court level now warrants a new commission, a new independent investigation, a new IG has to be appointed, inspector general that will revoke all the stuff or evoke all the stuff. And you go back to 1971, whenever that Roe v. Wade decision was passed here in the United States, and you realize that all of the people on the Supreme Court at that time were men. So where are we in this regressive approach that somehow seems progressive as we have passed time? I really do believe that a large percentage of societies fall away because when they begin, they begin with the right idea, but then they throw a bunch of distractions in there that take people away from the reason why that idea has now begun to fail. And part of that distraction, I mean, if you look at the distractions that took place in the fall of Tsarist Russia when the Romanov dynasty was looting the people, along comes Lenin, whose brother had been killed because he was a dissident, and Lenin comes up with his manifesto, which if you read, sounds fairly tame at the base level because it says, return to the people who are producing at the grassroots level some of the profits that came from that production, which means the state cannot take it, individuals cannot claim it, and societies cannot demand it, but we need to go back to the people who are at the core of work. That sounds like a great idea if you say that the guy who's producing it needs to get a bigger percentage of that which he produced. Now, in the same equation, if you equate it, I grew up in sales. That's exactly how we lived. Even when I got a chance to get into a salaried position, Mr. Ziegler advocated that it would be better off if I asked for less from the organization in terms of security and asked for more in terms of incentive that would keep me hungry to want to produce. Now, the opposite is also true in every aspect of the way, but think about what I just said in this and parse it through your head. I know we all want security. We want security that someone else gives us that security, but we don't want security on our own ability. Everybody I've ever counseled in sales, I said, if you want security, make sure that the security is on your own ability so that when you see the rules that are there, you realize that your job is to navigate between them and excel through them. But if the rules are just being placed so that there are hurdles in your path, then you would find other ways, obviously. So let's look at some of these distractions. Lenin, of course, in the aforementioned illustration, came up, was fairly tame. Stalin comes on the horizon and says, a little power that comes in trying to be the mediator and the champion of the people, uh, if it's good, a lot of power must be great. And then that experiment led to 75 years of totalitarianism and everybody living in the same cinder block houses and wearing the blue and gray that Mao then said is probably the best way to control a people, have them all dress alike. But when you look at this dystopian view that I quite advocate in a different way than most of the people, I always try to bring the solution of what we are seeing. Now, individual solutions will have to be how you see it. If you are one of the part of the masses that actually believe that everything that is a rally cry requires an institution that is sprung up, that is legally mandated, that is senatorially approved, that has all kinds of bells and whistles and barbed wires around it, more power to you. But that is what we call a progressive recipe for a regressive failure. Just about everything that is childish and demeaning and in the cave. I remember when we were kids growing up, some kids had access to a cricket bat because their parents were affluent. Some people actually had access to a cricket ball because their parents were affluent. 
Most of us played cricket. We had one bat that had a broken handle probably on it. We drew wickets, which was the actual stumps that are behind the, play, behind the plate or whichever way you want to look at it in terms of analogy. And so that uh, we would have a wall behind us because that's the only place we could play. We didn't have a full field. And at least the wall would block, block the ball from going away. But that was our thing. But even in that small rudimentary setting where we had a bat and we used to, with chalk marks, draw the back of the, the home plate, so to speak, on the wall. And we had limited number of players and we played with a tennis ball because we couldn't afford a real cricket ball. The, ball, the issue was always, let's make sure that we don't upset the guy who, who has the ball and the bat as part of his ownership. So when we were kids, if, we, if the guy who, wanted, who had the bat wanted to be at bat, he'll, we let him at bat because bowling was right where you got hit around. But the reason I give you that very simple childish illustration is our biggest fear was that the guy would say, well, I don't like your rules and I don't like the way you're treating me, so I'm going to take my toys and go home. And that literally was what people said, you know, there are certain kinds of people who will come into the sandlot and then as soon as the rules change and they, don't, they, and they don't appreciate the rules or they don't have the skill level to compete, it's always I'm going to take my toys and go home. Now that has morphed into I can't take my toys and go home if I don't have toys and you have the toys and I want your toys. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to demand that there is an agency that is set up that demands that everybody has access to the same kind of toys. That sounds great. If everybody has access to the same kind of toys, shouldn't we all have the same kind of rules so the toys have an opportunity to actually be play, used in a game? No, we want different rules. So now we got different games and everybody is playing a different game. This never ends well. Now think about what I just said and play it back over in your head. Ask yourself, if you walked into an environment and you were in a sales situation, working in a sales team, and the manager came in and saying, in the interest of making sure that I treat you all equally, not fairly. Fairly means, hey, there's a commission structure. If you sell X, you get 10%. If you sell Y, you get 20%. If you sell Z, you get 50% or whatever your commission structure is. And he says, here's the product. Here are the parameters. Go get them, Tiger. What if he walked into the sales meeting and looked at you and basically said, hey, we're changing the rules because, you know, some people don't like them. And as a result, if you were born in India and you grew up between 1970 and 1974, your commission structure is going to be based on your linguistics and your verbal uh, ability to communicate the English language. Now, I'm creating hypotheticals, but this is how bizarre that has gone. Every place anybody is disenfranchised, we almost do not want civility and dialogue at the beginning. We want, uh, we want someone to stand up and erect a new set of rules, erect a new set of... I mean, to the degree that we can't play dodgeball on a campus because some people feel that it is violent or I don't know. I mean, you know, I, it's just getting crazy. But these are all distractions. And what these distractions are actually provided as is they're provided as nice little hammocks that you would feel that, okay, someone is out looking for me. Now, in, when I was in South Africa, I gave this illustration of uh, the old illustration of the, of the frog. And uh, the frog, you know, being gently, if you put it in, in water and you gently start heating the water, the warmth of it will give you that cozy feeling of hammock. And if you, if you succumb into that slumber too long, you'll wake up dead. <laughs> and that's just tongue in cheek. Of course, you can't wake up dead. But 
that, that, that's where we are. These distractions are that slow, warm water that allows you to lull yourself into a false sense of security that there is someone out there with an Ivy League education who is going to eradicate all of your past debacles and going to present for you that pinnacle of hope. And then suddenly you look around, you wake up one day and you say, wait a minute, a gallon of milk actually is costing uh, so much. A gallon of gas is astronomical. There's no baby formula on the shelves. What the heck is going on with basic necessities? The whole point of this exercise of uh, creating these, uh, these broad-based institutional reforms was to allow us belief and get us into that false sense of security that the basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter would be provided. In Hindi, we have a saying, roti, kapra, or makan, you know, food, clothing, and shelter. If these are taken care of, you create a civilized society that would be, you know, on the basis of this or on the basis of that. Anywhere housing has been provided to people, would look at what happens when you look at what they do to that housing. Whether it's Britain, whether it's Germany, whether it's the United States, or any other part of the world where the government gets involved, you find out that the institution that is causing these rules eventually will have to, because of the supply and demand issue, create a regressive failure. The result is going to be regressive because those homes are not going to be of good quality because you're worried about other things. You have to create equal rent for everybody. Landlords are going to be stimmied, so they're not going to do the work for the upkeep. They're going to try to get away with the basics. Now, I understand the principle. So let's move forward. Leaders and luminaries of corporate strategy are now straddling this line of distraction and deviation and delusion in every decision made. The distractions are visible in endless arguments anchored in anticipatory grief. Now, today we'll talk about distractions. Maybe we'll come back and do the delusions and then later the deviations because I've got a lot to say on this subject. But it goes back to what Chesterton said. He predicted the scenario by asking a populace to ask itself why fences existed before tearing them down. We are so hung up, and I think all of these are distractions. And again, it's not one political party or the other. One political party, when it's in power, says, you know, we need to have immigration reform, but that political party seems to be hinged on the fact that they like cheap immigrant labor. The other political party says we need to have immigration reform, but that party seems to be bent on the fact that they get endless people voting for them. Whatever way the quantitative splits, this is a distraction. So typically in a republic, you elect people to represent you. India is a republic, South Africa is a republic, I'm guessing, in the way its constitution works. The United States is, 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 a, is, is a representative democracy. It's not a democracy, it's a republic in that we elect people and it's not just majority rules. But right now, anytime you depend on institutions, it's almost like that mobocracy where we believe, oh, the institution is spoken. Most recently, we had a challenge where someone said, we need to have an institution that actually monitors other institutions. And this institution of disinformation is going to be headed by somebody who's going to monitor disinformation. And who, dry, who writes the rules? Who is the person who is going to decide what is right and what is wrong? If it is man, it is fallible. It is going to fall. If it is God, it is infallible. If it is man, it is errant. If it is God, it is inerrant. And that is why we have to have something that supersedes all this nonsense. The questions I usually ask at the end of my newsletter, and I'll ask these today in terms of distractions, is 
Are personnel more demanding of their rights as members of society or more adhering to responsibility as teammates of your enterprise? If you have a work group around you when the people who are part of that team, are they more interested in their own rights? Or are they at some point going to acquiesce and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to put my personal feelings aside and try to work for the greater good and the success of the enterprise? Somewhere we have been led to believe that you know, capitalism is the, is, you know, is the vehicle that is going to slaughter and uh, going to trample over the rights of the weary worker. And that creates a nice, beautiful utopian where so, the haves are somehow always taking from the have-nots. But that's a distraction because if I look around the world, the have-nots seem to have more than me. When I see someone looting something on a television, or looting a television, for example, on a TV, and I'm watching it on a 45-inch TV, and I see them looting a 70-inch TV going out of the store because they feel disenfranchised or they feel marginalized, I question my own sanity when the news commentator comes on and says, these people are looting out of necessity. Well, the only thing I don't see under their arms are bread and milk and eggs, the things I struggle to buy at the grocery store when I see inflation at Central Amper. It's common sense. If you loot from a store, they are going to raise their prices if they want to remain a store. It's economics 101. But again, I digress. So I want to kind of end here. Hopefully, I gave you a little entertainment, a little tongue-in-cheek, a little stuff to to ponder over. But we're going to talk about this ad nauseum. Distractions, delusions, and deviations. The so-called progressive recipes for regressive results. Until next time, this is your humble host, Chris Dunham, getting animated, excited, and happy. We'll look forward to talking to you down the road. Good luck and God bless. And that concludes another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose with Chris Dunham brought to you by Skylife Success. Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at chrisdunham.com and skylifesuccess.com where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living.